I want to invite you to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 34 in your copy of Scripture. Second Chronicles chapter 34. We are going deep into the Old Testament here this morning. As many of you know, if you've been around for the last couple of weeks, we are in the midst of a series called Comeback Stories. And uh, last couple of weeks, we've talked about the idea of discouragement and depression, heard some real life examples of people that have a comeback story. And uh, we looked into the life of Elijah and to see what he went through, the lies that he believed and how God used him to influence a nation and the world truly. And this morning, we're going to be diving into another comeback story. And I just love uh, narratives. I love stories. And here, God has given us in his um, scriptures hundreds of stories of people just like us. So our challenge this morning is to look into the life of this king, King Josiah, and try and understand uh, what we can learn about his comeback story. Now, uh, here in chapter 34, verse 1, we're going to go ahead and dive right in. Uh, it says this, now Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. So again, Josiah was now a king of this nation, and the scripture says that he was eight years old when he began to reign. Anybody have any questions about how an eight-year-old would make decisions or uh, how trustworthy they would be? Some of you are like, yeah, I've had my eight-year-old in charge of something and it didn't go well. Well, we need to understand here that scripture says Josiah was one of the greatest kings of the entire uh, nation of Israel that ever existed. All right, now, if you are interested in anything, if you're an athlete, if you're into business, if you're an entrepreneur, whatever it is, you wanna try and look at somebody who is at the top of their game and who is the most successful in whatever that is, and you want to mimic and have an example as what they did to be successful, right? Whether it's Michael Jordan in basketball or uh, Derek Jeter as a shortstop, greatest ever in baseball, or uh, you know, what, insert whatever businessman, successful person here, you want to study what got them to where they are. And here in the life of Josiah, we want to try and understand as we dive into this narrative, what did he do that gained him that title of the greatest king of Israel that ever existed? Now, when we talk about this idea of comeback stories, we need to understand that Josiah had a rough background. When you think about his influence that, that um, was on his life as he got to that point where he came into power, at least limited power at eight years old, we need to understand that there was some wreckage and some brokenness and some atrocities around him. And the reason that we chose this particular narrative for this comeback story is because we wanted to connect it to some of your stories. Because we know not everybody grew up in a, in a, in a pleasant upbringing with a mother and father that loved them and was nurturing and everything else. We've had a lot of people that have stories filled with wreckage. 
And Josiah is an example of that. Let's dive in here really quickly in chapter 33, starting with verse 1. You can follow along in your text. We also have some of the text up here on the screen. We want to talk about Josiah's grandfather. His name was Manasseh. It says in in verse 1 that he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. So there was no four years and out if you weren't doing a good job, or eight years and out, even if a lot of people liked you, Not as king of Israel, 55 years, entire generations he ruled. And what kind of ruler was he? Verse 2, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down, another king who did what was right in the eyes of God. And he erected altars to the Baals and made Asherahs and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. Verse 4, and he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said, in Jerusalem shall my name be forever. You can even see as the writer is writing this stuff down and, and giving us the account of history, how he's almost shuddering. Because he's like, this king was so unbelievably wicked and evil and he served for so long, you wouldn't believe what he did. Remember, this is, the, this is God's people, right? The nation of Judah. And he's saying he not only um, you know, built all of these altars to all of these wicked pagan deities, but he did so even within the temple. The worst blasphemy that could be imagined. There was wickedness all around. Read in verse 5. He built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Verse 6, listen to this. And he burned his sons as an offering. Now perhaps some of you biblical scholars, if you've been around church and um, know Old Testament history, you'll recognize the name of the god Molech. Molech was a wicked, evil, pagan um, deity and the, and the wicked practice was that people in order to have financial prosperity and to have more kids would take their firstborn and would offer them in the fires of Molech. Child sacrifices was going on in God's nation. It's as wicked as you can imagine. That was the grandfather. That was the heritage that, that Josiah grew up watching. Well, what was Josiah's father like? Skip over to verse uh, 21. It says this. This is Josiah's father now after the 55-year reign of Manasseh. Amon was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh, his father, had done. So Amon was no better. He grew up seeing all this wickedness. This was the norm. It's ironic if we had time to go back into chapter 33 and another account in 2 Kings, we could see that actually Manasseh had a change of heart later on in his life where he realized the evil that he had done. He repented and he tried to change things in the culture, but it was too late. And so now his very own son, Amon, uh, got to be in charge. It says he was also wicked in the eyes of God. He had been watching his father for so many years and started to do the exact same thing. And he only lasted two years before he was assassinated. 
So you can imagine for Josiah, I mean, he, he, up until he was six, he saw his grandfather influence, saw all the evil around between six and eight. He saw his father and everything his father was doing, all the evil around. Growing up amongst the worst, most wicked, evil influences that you could ever possibly imagine. Earlier on this week, as I was thinking about Josiah and praying over this opportunity to speak and thinking about our own people within this community, I threw out a little survey on Facebook. And I said, hey, you know, I'm speaking on Josiah and I want to hear some of the stories from our people. So what was a negative family situation that deeply impacted you? What choices did you have to react to it? And how did God's influence as a father help you respond in a way that would bring redemption? And man, you wouldn't believe the stories that flooded in. Just from the limited amount of people that I am, am Facebook friends with. I want to share a couple of them with you so you can understand what's going on in this room, anonymously. One said, good morning, Jerry. I saw your post. I wanted to respond. My dad was an alcoholic. I recognized early in life all the problems that went along with that. He also had a terrible temper and would say very hurtful things. I also saw what a wonderful, godly mother my mom was and how I wanted so much to be like her and not him. She was the example in our home that I wanted to follow. Another person said this, my mom was married four times and my first stepfather was very physically and emotionally abusive. This was extremely difficult for me. We went to church, listen to this, where most people knew the situation. We moved around a lot to try and escape the violence. I struggled to forgive, knowing what God's word said. I struggled to relate to all the church kids who seemed like they had perfect families. I actually stopped talking for about a year. I was eaten up with fear, bitterness, and hate. I was worried about what was happening to my mom while I was at school and unable to protect her. But I clung to Jesus. I would lock myself in the room and read the Bible and journal about what I read. I knew the unforgiveness and the hate were not from God. I memorized and was challenged by the book of James. And one day, while I begged and pleaded for God to allow me to be willing to forgive my stepfather, God allowed me to see him as he saw my stepdad, as a hurting man that was lonely and angry and fearful, a man who was hurting worse than I was. It was an instant miracle God did on my heart. I forgave this monster of a man and was even able to love him. I wish I had the time to share all the stories that were shared with me. But it's unbelievable to me as we dive into this concept, what is going on right below the surface even within our own body. Well, some of you remember Sports Illustrated um, magazine back in the day used to have a section called Faces in the Crowd. And what that was is just normal people that had extraordinary accomplishments that you wouldn't be able to recognize. Well, I'm just telling you here this morning, we don't know what's going on in these faces in the crowd. What kind of history, what kind of family wreckage and baggage people have brought in this morning. 
but we're not afraid to dive into it. And here in, in the book of um, 2 Chronicles 34, we get an incredible account of Josiah and what he did to have a comeback story. So there's five principles taken here from the text. If you're following along, encourage you to take them down. Um, the first one is this. He was influenced by someone outside of his family. He was influenced by someone outside of his family. Let's go ahead and dive in. Chapter 34, start reading in verse 2. Here's talking about Josiah, eight years old, remember. And he, that is Josiah, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. Now, two separate times that phrase is mentioned, which is so curious, right? Is that some error in scripture? David's not his father. David lived hundreds of years before that, right? Who's his father? His father's Amon. And his grandfather's Manasseh. We just got done explaining all of that. But what we see right here is there's a sense that there's an influence from someone else into the life of Josiah. Someone who had lived hundreds of years ago. Someone who was an absolute champion and hallmark of spirituality and worship and zealous and successful and victorious. A man who was called a man after God's own heart. We know that he had his pitfalls as well at the end of his life. But even so, he is a legend in scripture and somehow Josiah was able to hold on to an influence of something better, something greater. So where did this influence come from? Wickedness around, evil around, debauchery everywhere. Somehow, I don't know if it was an attendant, if it was one of the um, you know, people that worked in the court, one of the caregivers. Somehow, somebody had an influence over Josiah in those formative years where they told them about David and other people that God had used and who were righteous and holy and did what was right. Some other influence outside of the brokenness happened. And that's really important for us to understand here this morning. Many of the stories that came in um, highlighted that exact same thing. Man, my, my dad left, my mom left, there was evil, there was wickedness, I was lonely, but somebody stepped into that situation. And man, you look in scripture and you try and understand why over and over and over again, God talks about uh, the fatherless, God talks about the widow, God talks about people that, that are in need of help and broken families and orphans. If it's not one of the prime things that we need to do as believers and as Christians, if you are that here this morning, is to have your eyes open to influence other people around that are perhaps in need because of a broken family. We need to be the kind of people that have a love that looks, a love that's aware, is looking for situations where we can step in and influence we need to have a reality that reaches out to others, a steadfastness that steps out and steps up. We need to have a compassion that compels us to do something. Somebody stepped up into that role in the life of Josiah. 
We don't know how, we don't know who, but we know that somebody stepped in to influence him. Maybe it was some old wise sage who'd been around for a long time and looked at this young man who they knew was gonna be in power. Young man looked at this child and they began to pray for him. Oh Lord, please work on his heart and let me do what I can to tell the stories of old, to tell the stories of victory and holiness and righteousness because something in this culture has to change. See, even in scripture, the apostle Paul uh, with his heart for the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says, you could have had many countless guides in Christ or many countless teachers, 10,000 guardians is the way another version says it. You could have had lots of nice people over you, influencing you, but I don't want to be just that to you. Paul says, you do not have many fathers, though, for I became your father in Christ Jesus. Paul had the kind of heart that overflowed into broken, confusing situations where he would stand in the gap and become a father to these people who were essentially spiritually fatherless. How many incredible stories did I hear just from a simple typing out on Facebook about people that had others step in to influence and assist and love? He had someone else influence him. Number two, he revolted against wickedness. Now, this is so amazing. This is so incredible. I couldn't uh, exaggerate this because it's not in scripture exaggerated. He revolted against wickedness, not just, oh, you know what? I think we probably need to, you know, make some minor changes or we really need to kind of adjust some things in our culture. There is a violence and an extreme reaction that Josiah had to what he saw around. And it's pretty crazy. He wanted so much uh, to, to be righteous that he had this zeal that could not be contained. Let's pick up the story in verse four. Here's what they did. Remember all the wickedness around. Verse four, it says, and on Josiah's orders, they chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them and he broke in pieces the ashram and the carved and the metal images and Listen to this, he made dust of them and scattered it all over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Hello! Is this guy a madman or what? Not just did he cut them down, not just get these things out of here, and not just did he burn them, but it goes way beyond that. He somehow ground these things into a powder and he spread them all over the graves of these evil, wicked priests. And if you go down through the account, it just gives you more and more and more of this zeal and, in a sense, this violence of what he's doing. So what can we gather from that? How's that part of the comeback story? What are you really telling us to do? Are you inciting a riot? No, but what I'm saying is he so loved God that, in effect, he so hated God wickedness and his reaction showed that and let me just tell you what I see in my life and what I see in much of Christianity in the United States is not a violent reaction to sin and a hatred of sin 
It's almost a looking the other way, almost being so warm and welcoming. We don't have this kind of same reaction that he did. We look at examples even in our culture of people that have said, you know what, I so value morality, I so value purity, that I'm gonna set up some standards and do some things that maybe the world won't understand. Anybody here uh, recognize when I say the phrase, the Billy Graham rule? It's kind of been in the news here the last month or so, right? Well, that was a long time ago. Billy Graham, of course, famous evangelist, valued purity so much. He said, you know what? I'm never going to be in an elevator alone with a woman. I am never going to be in a car alone. I don't even want to be at dinner with a woman who's not my wife. I so value um, the purity of our marriage. I, even, I don't even want there to be a hint of that. Well, recently, Mike Pence, of course, our vice president uh, of the United States, made a similar statement or statement was conjured up that he made a few years back and that's kind of his standard. He won't even go to an event where there's alcohol if his wife is not with him. He so values that purity and even the appearance that he's incessantly mocked for it in our culture, right? Look right up here. This was, uh, you know, again, the culture just totally mocking him. Mice Pence asked waiter to remove Miss Butterworth from table until wife arrives. Miss Butterworth over there. Obviously, it's the onion. It's a fake news story, but man, he just totally got roasted because people are like, that's so ridiculous. Why would you do something like that? It's because he loves God so much and he loves his wife so much. He's willing to take that extra step, even if it's considered zealous. His passion for holiness is so much so that he doesn't care about the mocking or what the rest of the world is doing. And here in the life of Josiah, man, he just violently reacted to evil. And guess what? He's not alone. Do you remember Moses when he came down from, from Mount Sinai and the people of Israel had you know, made this giant golden image? you remember what Moses did? He took that thing and he ground it down into powder. It says that he spread that powder over the water and he made the people drink of it. I mean, that's insane. Or you look at the famous account even of Jesus, right? Two different times in the gospels where he went into the temple and he saw the evil and he saw the wickedness and he saw the thievery and he saw the mockery that people were making and he overturned tables and he kicked all the money changers out, it says, with a whip. And Jesus didn't sin, right? I think he is inciting a riot. Now, I'm not saying that. But I am saying, for us, if we truly want a comeback story as we look at our life, look at our wreckage, there's gotta be a passion for holiness that may seem ridiculous in the standards that we set up in our home and in our personal life. I had a friend of mine who owns a chain of hotels and year after year after year he refuses what the board tells him to do and the advisors tell him to do that you know, offer these adult movies in your rooms. They cost 10 or $12 each and you're, you're gonna have a revenue that's gonna add several hundred thousand dollars at your year end statement every year. He says, I don't care. I don't want that in any of these hotels. It's not going to happen. And people think he's ridiculous. Our standard for holiness and love sometimes involves revolting against wickedness.
How about this, number three? He took worship seriously. He took worship seriously. Skip down to verse eight. Now in the 18th year of his reign, remember all this stuff didn't happen overnight. He's pursuing after God and he's letting God restore things and he's working hard. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had cleansed the land and the house, he sent a few people, uh, uh, skip it down, to repair the house of the Lord his God. One of the things that was a huge priority for him in his comeback story was understanding how serious it is to be in the house of God, to repair the temple, to be with other people, to be worshiping, to be hearing from God. That was a priority in his life and in his reign. He said, we are going to invest here. We're gonna put money into the renovation. We are going to honor God here. For far too long, it's been forgotten. We're bringing it back. We value this. Remember again, it talked about his father, David. Well, in Psalm 84, you wonder if some of these words were, were, were deep in the heart of Josiah. Psalm 84 talks about how lovely is your dwelling place, God. You know, how I wish I could be in it all the time. Better actually is one day with your people singing your praises, uh, engaged with you. Better is one day there than a thousand days anywhere else. Psalm 84. Josiah is saying, for way too long, we've been lazy, we've been lackadaisical. It's time to bring the people back together and to see the priority and the prominence of worship of God happening in this country. So I wonder where that lands on some of us, the priority and the practice of worshiping God. I don't mean to be beaten on the people preaching to the choir. You guys are here and we love it. But man, how much do even I need to focus my mind and attention in the morning when we come here and as we're singing the songs, focus on those. And as the word is opened, uh, you know, asking the spirit of God to, to impact upon our heart and souls. And as we're here with other people, not just on a podcast, not just, you know, following up later on, but here in the presence of this community. How much value do we put on that? Well, Josiah definitely took that seriously, and we need to take example of that. Number four, he took scripture seriously. Skip down chapter 34, uh, verse 16. As they were renovating all the temple and everything, this is incredible. As they were renovating, they found something. And verse 14 talks about how they found, the high priest found the book of the law of the Lord. This had been missing for probably 70 or 80 years, this copy of scripture. But notice in, uh, in, in verse 16, they said they found the book of the law of the Lord. Verse um, 16 says, Shephim brought the book to the king and further reported to the king all that is committed to your servants they're doing. They've emptied out all the money that was found in the house of the Lord. They've given it to the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Renovation is happening. Verse 18, then Shephan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. A book? Does it sound a little bit like, oh yeah, we just found this book. This is the book, verse 19. And when the king heard the words of the law that was read to him, he tore his clothes. He was so humbled that they had finally found God's revelation to them. Skip down to verse 27. Here's God speaking now to Josiah. He says, because you're 
heart was tender. You humbled yourself before God when you heard these words against this place and its inhabitants. You've humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me. I have heard you, declares the Lord, and I will forgive, essentially is what he's saying. So think about it, when Josiah heard finally this dusty book that had finally been uncovered and brought to light and opened up and heard God's communication to him, he tore his clothes and he wept bitterly. He was so convicted. He took scripture seriously. There's some people that want to have a comeback story here in this place. There's no doubt in my mind that the prominence of God's word in that comeback story, in refining us, has got to be evident. I really wonder, I mean, this illustration of kind of dusting off the Bible, I mean, how is that reality for people in your homes? And at Northwest Community Church, we want God's word and the memorization of God's word to be a top priority of what we do here because that's really what changes things. That's why over this last year we had a different verse uh, once a month challenged to memorize those 12 different passages of scripture. That's why this summer we have a series called Words to Live By, which once again with several guest speakers as well as our own staff, we're saying, hey, this is what God has impressed upon my heart as this is the mantra that I wanna live by. Psalm 119, hiding God's word in your heart is what illuminates the path and the decisions that we make. That's what Josiah found. And that's what can be true of us as well. And finally, I love this. He made a public covenant with God. Chapter 34, verse 30. Basically, he and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found. Verse 31, and the king stood in his place and he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book, verse 32. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. So not only was it, hey, you know what? I'm humbled. I've, I've heard the word of the Lord. I am broken because of it. I'm standing before you and I'm saying, this is what I'm gonna do. But he's saying, you know what? This is what you should do too. He stepped up and took leadership as the mantle, as his authority where he was and said, I was wrong. This is what I'm doing now. This is my comeback story. Oh, and by the way, you guys should do it too. He wasn't afraid to make that public declaration and to bring other people into it as well. He called out his countrymen, no matter what the situation had been, he called them to repentance. So what does that mean for us? As we look at these five things and as we think about Josiah growing up in the wickedness and the evil and the debauchery, we see that God still was there beside him. God still had a plan for him. And what I want you to really think about as we uh, 
as we think about the different stories represented here is, is this phrase. You can let the past define you or refine you. You can let the past define you or refine you. And Tim Keller tells the story of these two twins uh, that he was familiar with that both grew up in the same exact household. They had an alcoholic father that was abusive to their mother and verbally abusive to them. And they both grew up in this setting where they saw this brokenness and they both lived in fear and anger against their dad. And once they graduated from high school and went off to college and lived on their own, the two lived totally separate lives. Both of them got married, but one was verbally abusive to his wife, abusive to his kids, was addicted to alcohol and other substances. And the other one was loving and caring and serving to his wife, went overboard to make sure his kids knew that they were loved and did everything according to God's plan. And when you ask both of those sons who grew up in the same exact atmosphere and in the same exact family, why are you acting the way you're acting? They both had the same answer. Because I watched my father. So for one, he allowed a circumstance to define him, destined to repeat it. And for the other, he made a decision that I don't want to be like that, and I'm going to redeem it. And what we see here in our own body is several redemption stories, and I just want to share one more with you. It was so powerful. This person says, I saw your post about comeback stories. My dad was an alcoholic and the town drunk. I grew up not knowing if he would come home. I found him by the side of the road, car crashed. We went into bars to get him when I was young. We poured out alcohol in the house, etc. We lived in a small town and everybody knew his reputation. And especially after when drunk, he plowed through at one point the front of a store. My mom had quite the story growing up, raising five brothers and sisters. And it goes on. She was strong in some ways because of it, putting herself through nursing school, etc., but was weak when it came to my dad, and all she could do was cry. So I was the mama of the house in a lot of ways. I started drinking in high school myself and became quite the mess, hopped from guy to guy, usually the mean ones. I had some pretty horrific uh, things happen to me when I went to college, and I got to the bottom of life, and I did not want to go on living. But my mom had sent a Bible with me to college. And I opened it as one last hope. I ended up reading all night how God was my father and of his amazing love for me. He showed me what a real father was. I accepted Christ that night because he showed me what it truly meant to be a father. Sometimes you have to get to the very, very bottom to rise to the top. But looking back now, I'm thankful for everything I went through and that God has used that ugliness for beauty. She says, um, P.S., this story has a happy ending. When I left home to go to college, I told my father I was never coming home again and he was never walking me down the aisle. But after 25 years of being the worst alcoholic you could imagine, he quit drinking. 
Nobody could have ever have imagined. Our relationship was restored and we became very close the last few years of his life and I was able to share Jesus with him. Also, lastly, he got to walk me down the aisle along with my mother when I got married. It's an incredible story of redemption. And as we think about the brokenness that many have seen when growing up, we can only beg and plead for God to allow us to have more of these kinds of stories. I want to close with one final verse that's kind of the, the highlight um, of the story of Josiah for me. It's um, in the other account, which is in 2 Kings. And um, I think we have it up on the screen here. And it says this. So neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. Never before and never after was there one like him. And here we've got these steps to show us how God used this wretched story and redeemed it. And our prayer here this morning for many of you is that God can use this story and his power in the life of Josiah to dive into your own story.